0: Power Users, Episode 8, Backup, Backup, Backup. Hello again, I'm Katie Floyd, and welcome to another episode of Mac Power Users. Along with me is my faithful cohort, David Sparks. How are you, David?
1: I am doing great, Katie, and I am ready to talk backup.
0: Ready to talk backup. You know, this is a topic that I didn't think we were going to get into at least this quickly on Mac Power users because I kind of thought that it was a topic that everybody has covered already.
1: Yeah, but we've had a lot of email about it. Um, I think it's the biggest requested show we've had.
0: I, I think so too. So let's talk a little bit about why backup is important. And I think what people don't realize is that every single hard drive will die. Did I say that straightforward enough? Is there any question left?
1: I'm not sure what you meant by that.
0: Every single hard drive at some point in its life cycle will fail. Whether it fails while you're using it or whether it fails after you've already discarded, but every single hard drive will die. It's just a matter of time.
1: It's the famous saying, there's only two kinds of hard drives. There's hard drives that have died and there are hard drives that will die.
0: So I see having a backup as a lot like having insurance. It really dictates the difference between inconvenience and total complete disaster. And I'm sure, as you know, the cost of data recovery on a drive that has totally died can be thousands of dollars and even then no guarantee of success.
1: You know, for the old folks like me, Backup really isn't much of a problem because when I first started computing, my device that I saved on was a cassette tape. We hooked up a cassette player to the computer, punched record, and literally saved the program as, I guess it was an audio recording is what you would call it. But So I'm used to having uh, the storage device not work very well. <laughs> and it's just been ingrained into me because, I mean, when you did those cassettes, half the time it didn't take. So you'd always record it on two or three different tapes just so you knew maybe one of them would work. So I kind of grew up in that culture. But I think it's really easy uh, for the kids today, you know, with the reliability that they have to to assume that they don't have a problem. And that gets them into a lot of trouble.
0: Well, another thing that I'll hear from people is I'm not worried about it because my computer and my hard drive have a warranty. I have Apple Care. It's no big deal, Um, but your warranty is meaningless when it comes to your data. If your hard drive dies within the warranty period, they may replace your drive, but they're certainly not going to replace the data that you have on it. And personally, I actually have some security concerns. I'm not ever sure that I would hand over a hard drive under warranty unless I was able to physically smash it before I sent it back in because you you never know where those hard drives go afterwards.
1: Yeah. Uh what's your favorite your favorite horror story?
0: My favorite horror story?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't Everybody know. Everybody has one. Oh, I have a I have a recent one that that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I am lovingly called the backup queen at my Macintosh users group, and I've ingrained in all of those people who are fairly novice Mac users most of the time that they must back up their data. And um I'm very proud most of them have taken up uh my advice. So I was distraught when one of my members came up to me at our meeting last month and said that their machine died and they lost their backup. And I asked her, I said, how did this happen? I know you have a backup. I've seen it. I helped you set it up. And she said, well, we, you know, we had a super duper backup and we cloned it, you know, every couple of weeks or every couple of months or, you know, kind of when we thought about it, they didn't let it uh, run all of the time and um our mac had an issue and we took it to the apple store and it was determined that it was a bad hard drive and the guy at the apple store asked do you guys have a backup of your data and we said oh yes we we have a backup we're covered thinking that that was it um so they replaced the drive wiped the drive their data was gone got their repaired mac back to their house plugged it into the external uh hard drive that they thought was backing up and come to determine that that drive had actually failed a while ago and they just didn't know it. So they thought they were doing the right thing. All of their data was gone and they told me it cost them over a thousand dollars to get their data recovered and they got most of it back.
1: Yeah. My favorite story is once I was in the Apple store and there was this girl there, she, I don't know, she's about 25 years old and tears were just running down her face I mean, she was crying. It was terrible. And, you know, I know a lot of the guys in the Irvine Apple store. I said, hey, what's going on? And uh, he says, all of her high school and all of her college pictures are gone. You know, the drive failed. She had never backed it up and lost, you know, about 10 years worth of photographs. Just like that. Oof. Yeah. I always think about that ever since I mean, can you imagine? I mean, as a dad losing all my pictures of my kids for 10 years, I mean, it would just break my heart.
0: Yeah, that, that would be tough. That's why I got most of yeah. those things uber backed up. Um, yeah, I
1: had I had a recent experience with my sister. Um, the cat poured a vase of flowers over her MacBook overnight.
0: Yes, I recall this.
1: Yeah, so she... Uh, the Twitter saga. So, yeah, so I, I got great advice on Twitter on that, by the way. And uh, But anyway, so I asked her, I said, you know, because I bought her a backup drive for Christmas. That's what kind of geek I am. And uh, I said, "So when's the last time you backed up?" And she said, "Oh, I think about a month ago." Oh. And uh, well, in the last month, my mother turned 80, and we had a big party with like 200 people there. You know, I mean, it was so we had all these pictures. And uh, you know, fortunately, once again, I'm the super geek. So after Mom's party, I bring my stick reader, and I I suck down every stick in the family, every camera stick. So I had all all of her pictures anyway. But it's um, you know, you just can't. You just can't take it for granted because you never know when you're going to hear that tick, tick, tick sound right. and you're going to be out of business. So, you know, the horror stories are there. I, I think most people, especially our listeners, are going to be pretty savvy and, and probably have at least one backup. But uh, if for no other reason, I think having a few horror stories isn't a bad idea when someone looks at you and doesn't take you real serious when you start telling them about why they should back up. Because right. all I have to do is, is talk about losing 10 years of pictures and people. All of a sudden, they don't have such a big deal writing a check for $80 to get a little backup drive.
0: Right. Even less than that now. I think I saw one uh, in 250-gigabyte um, portable drive for uh, 60 bucks at Walmart this weekend. They're flyer. They're getting ridiculously cheap. Yeah. So there are a couple of different types of backups. And for purposes of this episode, I've broken it down really into four main categories, although you could argue that they're more with different subcategories. Uh, But the four basic types of backup that I came up with were offsite backups, incremental backups, cloned backups, and then manual backups, which I would include as backups of specific files and folders, drag and drop type backups. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about what is not a backup, because I think a lot of people think certain things they may be doing may be backing up their data, but in fact, they're really not. And specifically, Syncing, we had a whole episode on syncing, is not a backup. And archiving data, unless you're archiving multiple copies of that data, is also not a backup.
1: But, you know, syncing can, <clears throat> excuse me, syncing can effectively be a backup.
0: It can if there's some kind of intermedi- intermediary device that is holding previous versions of data.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if, if someone comes over and they've got a Mac. Book, for instance and they haven't got a backup system working and they tell you they're going to go buy a backup drive one thing you can always do for them is come up with a two gigabyte dropbox account immediately and just put the folder on their desktop and say hey drag over uh, your files to this little folder here and that's going to back it up to the web and i've done that for people just because i know at least their primary documents are getting backed up I don't think it's a replacement for a backup system, but, you know, it's like a triage. You know, it's like putting a Band-Aid on the wound, you know. At least it, it gives some degree of security.
0: Well, that's definitely true. But, you know, the example that I'm thinking of is, you know, syncing is still hard despite all the advancements that we've made with syncing. And, you know, sometimes things get out of sync and out of whack, and it's not difficult for data to get corrupted. And then all of a sudden, if that data gets synced to multiple computers, you're now overwriting good data with bad. So... Unless you have an actual backup somewhere else or some kind of contingency plan, can be SOL.
1: Yeah, so, and that's, that's why I would say in the circumstances where you're helping out that person who doesn't have any backup system you're throwing a Dropbox on just to kind of get them started, you always tell them, copy the files you want here. Don't work out of this folder.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So how do we develop this contingency plan? How do we develop an ideal backup plan?
1: I think it depends on your uh, degree of, of um, animosity. Okay. Maybe that's not the right word. Uh, you know, it just depends how, how scared you are, how important your data is.
0: And what level your risk tolerance is. Yeah. And I guess you have to consider a couple of things. Uh, what do you use your Mac for? How much downtime can you tolerate? What types of files do you keep on your Mac? What would happen if you lost those files? And then do you use your Mac for business or pleasure or a mix of both? Because that's going to dictate how much risk you can tolerate.
1: Yeah, and I don't think there's any one magic backup plan that works for everybody.
0: No, I I, I would agree. I would agree with that.
1: Let's talk about redundancy.
0: I think that's key to any backup plan. Why? Well... Because when bad things happen, they tend to really happen. You know, it never rains, but it pours.
1: Yeah. So what do you mean by redundancy?
0: I mean, and I interpret that as having multiple copies of data in multiple places, and the more critical the data is, the greater the number of places you have it accessible and saved.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, hard drives are cheap now. I've got several hard drive cases and I uh I just get the cheap drives and load them in there and then I spread them like Johnny Appleseed oh, you know dear. I just spread them around you know and having one backup especially next to your computer that's a good start but you know if someone breaks in and they steal your computer they're going to see a shiny hard drive right next to it and that's probably going too right um I had a really good wake-up call about backups two years ago. Uh, My house is next to Cleveland National Forest in Southern California. And you may recall we had some wildfires. And uh, the fires literally were across the street from my house, which is a whole other story. I could talk about it. But uh, I was like Don Quixote out there with my garden hose. It was crazy. I mean, it it was foolish what I did. But I stayed back. The whole – neighborhood got evacuated and you know we literally had about 30 minutes to get everybody packed and out of the house because it was coming that fast and i was sending uh, my wife and children away so we pulled some pictures off the walls and
0: the hard my, drive. Western,
1: my western digital hard drive at the time and threw it in her car i didn't have time to unhook the computers and put them in the car because i it was more important that the family got away uh than anything else and you could i mean the flames were very close So uh, I experienced that. And uh, one thing I learned from that is redundancy means having your uh, data backed up somewhere else.
0: I have a a similar story and I promise we won't tell war stories all night, but uh, I had a friend who was traveling with their, at that time, their iBook and it was their only computer. And I had convinced them that they needed a backup system and they had this cute little uh, miniature external hard drive that they backed their things up to regularly Well, she was spending uh, an extended amount of time away, and she was doing a fair amount of computer work, so she figured that she better take her backup hard drive with her so she can stay backed up. Well, she had her backup hard drive in her computer bag, and as is common to happen at these airports, unfortunately, I think this was uh, shortly before all the advanced security of 9-11, she put her laptop bag on the security bin went through and then somehow got caught up or sidetracked and her, her bag went through ahead of her or she got separated from her bag for just a few seconds. And, um, before she knew it, her bag, she came back to get her bag and it was gone. Um, and of course her laptop as well as the hard drive was in the bag and she thought she was fine. I mean, she was devastated with the loss of the iBook and she, um, but she knew that she had a backup so that everything was going to be okay. And then it was just like, all of a sudden a ton of bricks hit when she realized that the backup was in the bag.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think we freaked everybody out now.
0: Yes, it can happen.
1: (laughs) Uh, So I think both of us would agree. Redundancy is a good thing. And, um, if you're running a backup system, you really need to think about doing that, uh, even if you don't have someplace offsite. At least someplace other than right next to your computer to keep a backup. Right. Uh, I've advised people sometimes if you're just running a Time Machine and that's your only backup, just don't keep it plugged in all the time. You know, sometimes if you're going away or something, you know, unplug it and hide it somewhere in your house or your garage or something. Right. But what I really would recommend is, with the the way drives are so cheap, is get an extra one and put it somewhere. I, my sister-in-law keeps my extra backup. I have an extra terabyte drive in a little old case that I take over to her house. And once a month, uh, OmniFocus tells me, hey, go get that drive and refill it. And uh, that's one of my offsites.
0: sites Yeah, I, I personally think that every backup strategy should have at least some type of offsite component, even if it's not a comprehensive full backup. You'd much rather gain some of your data than uh, lose all of it. So there are a couple of different ways you can do that, whether it's physically taking a hard drive somewhere else, whether it's using one of these online backup services. There are a bunch of, of, of different ways to do it, and, and we'll talk about that.
1: And I say, do you want to talk about now how we manage our offsite site drives, or do you want to do that later?
0: Uh, we can do it whenever.
1: Okay, well, I, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I've got this terabyte drive, and I've got it formatted into two partitions. And the first partition becomes a super-duper drive, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So I super-duper the iMac on that. And then the other partition, which is the real big one, I use ChronoSync, and I have a script that goes through and pulls video aperture library and all that stuff and uh, syncs it up to the drive to, uh, to be consistent with the last changes. So it's very... Uh, Automatic doesn't take much work, and uh, you just plug it in and run a script and and come back.
0: Videos and other things, I'm assuming, are not on your primary hard drive; otherwise, that would have been backed up with SuperDuper.
1: Exactly, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but those are off the Drobo. Okay.
0: So basically, you have a cloned image of your primary Mac, as well as what I would probably say are your most important
1: files. Yes. And I fill up that terabyte, and it uh, uh, really takes no work from me. I just run, like I said, super duper and a ChronoSync script. And then I go over and uh, bring yogurt and uh, give her the drive back, and she sticks it back in a drawer till the next month.
0: There you go. And it's a good time to, to hang out with your sis, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't have quite the comprehensive offsite backup that. You do, and we'll talk a little more about the services later, but I use Mosey, which is an offsite, site uh, which is one of these online backup services. And uh, actually, clicking up on my little Mosey icon, um, I have a 120.6 gigabytes backed up. And let me tell you, months it took me to get that far.
1: Yeah. Let's talk online backup a little bit. Tell me about your experience. Now for the people don't know, Mosey is an online service that you, you you pay a subscription monthly. What is it? Five bucks a month still?
0: It's five bucks a month. And and there's some deals out there. I got a little discount because I, I paid for two years in advance and then, uh, I had a a 20% discount code from Twitter. So I think I want to say I paid about a hundred and right around a hundred bucks, a little over a hundred bucks for two years.
1: Okay. And then how does it work?
0: So there's a a client that's on your computer that runs uh, in the background, just like many other backup clients. And you configure it the first time that you use it and you tell it, this is what I want you to back up. And you can set it to do it either on certain intervals or after files have changed, or it will kind of do it when the computer reaches certain benchmarks. Like it detects that you are not using your computer and the hard drive usage has dropped to this level or the CPU usage has dropped to this level where it's a certain time of day. So you can set all of this criteria with the idea being that because it is using network resources, uh, you can manage it so that it doesn't slow down your network during peak usage times. And, um, with the free version that is available for anybody, you get two gigs of free online backup. And I maxed that out pretty quickly and decided to go ahead and bite the bullet and, um, upload all of my files. Now by default, MOSI doesn't support external drives. Um, however, if you have an external drive that you primarily run connected, meaning you have a, a drive that's basically attached to your computer most of the time, uh, you do have the ability to back up files from that drive. And so long as that drive is reconnected and rescanned at least every 30 days, uh, those files will stay up on MOSI and won't have to be rebacked up. Uh, And then it just starts its process. And um, I did mine incrementally. I selected certain files and folders to back up. And then when those were up, selected a few more. And then when those were up, selected a few more. And it it probably took me, I think I spanned it over two, maybe three months to get everything up
1: there. Now was that, was that running 24 seven doing the upload?
0: Um, Most days. Yes. Um, Usually what I would do is, not quite 24-7, but usually what I would do is um, start it when I went to bed, um, restart the computer because I tend to use the computer a lot first thing in the morning and then right when I get home from work. So I would stop it, use my computer, do my stuff in the morning, restart it as I walked out the door to go to work, stop it when I came home to use my computer in the evening, and then restart it again before I went to bed. So it was probably running 20 hours a day.
1: Yeah, you know, I played with Mosey. I, I had a subscription for, I don't know, three or four months, and it just drove me crazy looking at that little status bar that was just slowly, slowly ticking away.
0: Well, that's why you have to kind of do it while you're you're not
1: around. Yeah, there's a couple other problems with the online backup. Is It takes a lot of bandwidth to get it up there, so you, you may get in trouble with your, your provider.
0: Oh, and I um, was waiting, waiting for the letter from Comcast to come.
1: Another problem with the online backup strategy is if it, you know if things do go badly and you need to get that data down from them that's going to be a heck of a download
0: it is however um, Mosey, as do some of the other services will mail you your data so you know it, it depends on how fast is your internet connection versus how fast is the postal service
1: uh, I did play with another online service which is backblaze, which is another great you know, Mac-supported uh, online backup strategy. And they have the same thing. They'll send you a hard drive with your data on it. So for a certain fee, you'll get a, you know, a hard drive in the mail with all your data. And one of the things I liked about Backblaze was that you can ratchet up the speed. So like if you're going to bed, you can turn it up to high. And then during the day, you can turn it down to low so you don't have the bandwidth problems when you need to use the machine. But my overall problem with the online backup is just, you know, I don't trust the online storage uh, in terms of getting it up there. It takes forever. And when I'm using my most important data to be backed up, which is my photo libraries on an external drive, uh, whether I use Backblaze or Mosey or some of the other competitors, it always seemed to me that whenever that drive became disconnected, and you know, an external drive, even on an iMac, does get disconnected and does have issues occasionally where it, it becomes unconnected it seemed like the backup system was really struggling to figure out what had been done and what hadn't been done. And I just didn't want to have to go through the process to re-upload a 100-gigabyte Aperture library You know, several times. It would always be in a constant state of flux. So ultimately what I did was just said, instead of spending you know $60 a year on this, I'm just going to buy this external drive and take it over to my sister-in-law's house. And uh, that was kind of how I decided. You know, another concern I had with the online backup stuff is I'm not so sure I'm comfortable um having all of my data up there on some server somewhere, you know, in Idaho or god knows where. And uh, I guess that's kind of relative because I seem to trust my data to Dropbox. So maybe I'm not really being re- rational about it, but I do have kind of an issue with upgrading the the whole, you know, enchilada that way.
0: Well, I think that is a very valid concern, and I would say before you use any types of these services where the data is going somewhere else or not in your control, I think you have to do your due diligence and make sure that this is a company that has been around for a while, this is a company that is going to continue to be around for a while, um, and, and really do some research into uh, what their privacy policy is, what their security policies are what kind of encryption method that they use to make sure that, you know, before I send my data up, it's, it's really going somewhere.
1: And this is one where you don't just click through the agree, agree, agree boxes as you're signing up for it. Read to see what exactly their rights are and your rights are with respect to the data you're about to give them. Exactly. The, uh, I think for me though, the biggest problem is the speed. If, if magically they could up the speed, I would probably look at it closer. But it just seems to me it's it's unpractical with me where most of my data is off my primary Mac. And none of these systems seem to really deal with external storage very well.
0: They don't. And Mosey doesn't deal with external storage very well either. And, you know, Mosey is really, for me, my absolute last line of defense. I am going to always try to recover data from any other source I have available before I try to recover it from Mosey.
1: I but do just, use...
0: It I'm makes sorry. Go ahead. Sleep better at night, and you know that's that's worth the fifty bucks a year for me.
1: Yeah, well, getting back to you know my doomsday of losing pictures. If you know the um, if things went really bad, you know if we had an earthquake here that really just started leveling houses and stuff, maybe it's possible I'd lose all my backups at home and all my backups at the sister-in-law's house. I also have a backup, by the way, at my mother's house. But you know, it's possible that because I'm got all all my data in Southern California, that we could, you know, fall into the ocean and I'd lose it all. But I figure, you know, if it's going to be that bad, then you know, I guess that's because that's the least of my problems.
0: Yeah, you probably have other things to deal with at that point.
1: Yeah, but you know, in contrast, if I did put all the stuff online back east or wherever Mosey sends the data, then there would be another place that's backed up that's not local. So there's there's a certain advantage with that. I do use a certain type of online backup though, and that's my iDrive Okay. or or mobile me. Oh, iDisk.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So the way I handle that is um, it's, it's it's not as robust as yours, but I have, you know, I write for a living. So my documents that I've written are very important to me. Uh, Works in progress, old stuff. I like to keep and, you know, templates and, and just things I like to have. So I back all that stuff up to mobile me and, I have, once again, a script I use for it. I've got the, uh, on my iMac, I've got plenty of extra hard drive space. So I I have the, I, uh, the MobileMe disk duplicated on my local system. You know, there's a setting in the MobileMe settings. If you go in there, you can say either create a local copy or just treat it as this cloud drive. Right. Are you you're familiar with that?
0: Yeah, and what it does is it actually creates a sparse drive on your Mac. And I think that's one of the problems, at least in previous versions, is that it would it would use a whole 20 gigs of space on your Mac.
1: Yeah, it's going to use up space, man. If, if you, you got, got
0: space to burn.
1: I do. And I've assigned like 10 gigs to it because I've, I've left the other 10 for my mail. So I've got this 10 gig drive and it's sitting on my computer at all times. So it's easily accessible. You don't have to mount it or do anything. It's just sitting there. And then I use ChronoSync once again. And I think I'm going to do a a review at Mac Sparky on ChronoSync because it's just such a great little app. But it's it's a synchronizing program uh, between Macs. And so what it does is you can designate certain data on your Mac and say where you want it to go. And you can make exceptions and rules. And you can even schedule it. It has a built-in scheduling system. So every Monday morning at 10 o'clock while I'm at work or at court or doing something, um, uh, my iMac goes into certain folders I've designated with writings and different things that are important to me. It all adds up to about 6 gigs. And it, it does a compare with that mobile me disk, the local copy. And anything that's been deleted gets deleted. And anything that's new gets moved over. Anything that's been modified gets moved over. So it, in essence, it synchronizes those things. And then the um, mobile me service ob- will then synchronize that local version with the one in the cloud. Okay. Did I go too fast? No, no, I me? got it.
0: So you, you've you yeah. always got, I guess what we'd call your mission critical files. most recent versions up to date in the cloud in
1: mobile me a keynote files articles i'm working on um stuff i'm doing some of the stuff i'm doing for work and so it all it all gets backed up there and to be honest i've never needed any of it but that's just what that's my component of my online backup strategy is i try to uh, get those things backed up in addition to everything else i do uh, those things are up in the cloud doesn't send pictures doesn't send video files but uh, those low bandwidth type important things to me get backed up that way.
0: All right. Sounds simple enough. So it it sounds like you're using MobileMe for a lot of the things that I use Mosey for.
1: Yeah, to a lesser degree though. Okay.
0: Now there are a bunch of other kinds of, of online backup programs. We talked about Mosey. We talked about MobileMe. We talked about Backblaze. Um, uh, another one is Carbonite that has recently come into a Mac version that a lot of people like. Uh, Blackjack is a new one. CrashPlan is one that has kind of a different philosophy of, of backing up over a network computers. Uh, iDrive and Microsoft SkyDrive all do similar things to Mosey. However, Amazon S3 also offers quite a bit of storage. Well, really, as is, is much storage as you're willing to pay for it, and you pay for it based on a... Uh, megabyte or, or how many gigabytes you're going to upload and download and and store. And there's a, there's a it's very cheap, but I guess it can add up very quickly depending on how much you're uploading, how much you're downloading, and how much you're storing. Uh, and a lot of people use Amazon and S3 and Jungle Disk. I did the math at one point, and I don't know if it's still valid because Amazon's prices have gone up and down. Um, but I believe my rough math was if you're backing up in the you know, 25 gig or less range a month, you were cheaper to do Amazon S3. But if you were going much more than that, you were going to be cheaper to pay for a $5 a month plan from one of these other places.
1: That sounds about right. So let's talk about some other backup strategies. How about um Time Machine?
0: Time Machine is something that I was very excited about with uh, 10.5 Leopard. And I think it was, well, it was the, probably the big feature of leopard and um, it's very convenient. And time machine has brought backing up to um, a whole nother level of Mac users. If that makes sense. A lot of people who have never backed up before are now backing up because of time machine. And I think it is great in that respect. Um, But now we want people to go a little bit further and go beyond time machine.
1: Yeah, for the uh, new Mac user, the uh, novice computer user, you plug it in, you click one checkbox, and you don't think about it anymore. And that's great. Because a lot of people aren't going to bother you know, loading up SuperDuper and some of these other solutions we have. So this is the solution for them. That's the one I was talking about earlier when I get somebody a new computer and uh, I'm helping them set up their new computer. I always insist they buy a drive. I always hook them up with Time Machine. because. You know, at a bare minimum, at least that's, that backs up everything and covers most of the bases. Right. Um, I also like the fact that Time Machine does, you know, a type of versioning. You can go back and see uh, prior versions of documents or files. And that has saved my bacon a few times since oh. I started I, using it.
0: I am I am with you completely. In fact, I've gone back and restored. I would, I would say individual files over Time Machine uh, a lot more frequently than I'll, I'll go back and restore just individual files from any of my other backups just because i know with time machine i can i can go back to multiple levels and and multiple versions
1: the um, the problems with time machine is that when the hard drive goes and you have to uh, replace it you have to reinstall everything
0: exactly you cannot get up and running with time machine backup very quickly
1: yeah, and as opposed to the other op- uh, the clone backups we're going to talk about in a little bit, you can be running in five minutes. You know, right. Just hook it up to another Mac. This is going to require you to reinstall the OS and reload the data.
0: Plus, fix whatever the hard drive issue was, whether it's simply a reformat or whether it's a complete replacement of the drive. You're going to have to wait until you re- fix the underlying problem.
1: Now, um, what about Time Capsule?
0: Um. Well, I think this would kind of go across the board with time machine and time capsule, but there have been reports of corruption and problems with time machine backups. So it just caused a lot of people to question their reliability. And I think this is most, mostly with time capsules. Um, and if you follow my Twitters or if you've heard me rant on other podcasts, you will know that I was not a happy time capsule camper for many, many, many many months. I had one of the first original time capsules. Um, However, it has gotten progressively better through various software updates. And I since convinced Apple to replace my time capsule. And since that happened a couple of months ago, I have just been thrilled with the unit. So I really think that I had an off experience and that I, I probably got a bum time capsule.
1: Yeah, I was an early adopter on the Time Capsule as well. And the reason was because of my wife's MacBook. She runs a an online store. And, you know, it's very important that she have her data backed up. But she's not going to run super duper, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. And uh, so I, I've been trying to back it up for her. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that there was something going on in the background. And I thought that the wireless solution that Time Capsule offered was perfect because her computer's been backing up on that for about a year and a half now and um i think she's barely aware of the fact that it's actually backing up
0: you know sometimes it's just better that way
1: yeah well she she's a pretty smart lady but she just uh, you know she doesn't that's not a priority to her you know right. that's when something goes wrong that's my job to make sure it doesn't so th- that runs really well for that we've got another computer in the house um my macbook at least that backs up over the time capsule as well no significant problems. I've had to restore from one once, and um, it works fine. You know, the uh, I do not use my iMac through the time capsule, though. I actually have a FireWire drive attached uh, that I do the time capsule, and I also do a super-duper daily clone on that.
0: Right, and that's one of the beauties of the time capsule is that it is designed to back up multiple Macs in a household. Now, you can do this to some degree through um, hard disk sharing and with a a time machine drive that's that's not a network-attached storage device. It's just a regular hard drive that you've either plugged into your Apple airport or you've otherwise shared throughout your network. But it, it really wasn't designed to do that, and Apple has upset a lot of people by not necessarily designing it to do that. Um, so really the best option if you're looking to mul- book up multiple Macs in a household is to use the time capsule. And Apple has just made that a little easier because they have now um, upgraded the time capsule to two and one terabyte versions. They've gotten rid of the 500 gig version, which is what I had, uh, and dropped the price. So now it's very tempting to go out and, and grab a gigabyte time or a terabyte time capsule.
1: Yeah, and this is totally unrelated, but it has the new dual band radio too, so you could run an N network and a G network off the one device.
0: And that was one of the upgrades that I got when I replaced my Time Capsule, and I am loving that because not only am I not having to run dual networks, but I am getting significantly better network performance with both my N and G devices.
1: All right, well, we'll we'll have another show show for another day. Yeah, the my point with the the Time Capsules, we could talk about it really for an hour by itself. Time, time machine, and time capsule. There's a lot of mojo involved. You know, Apple tries to kind of keep you in the dark, but there are some applications out there. If you're not happy with the fact that it backs up every hour, you can change that. Um, and we'll put some links in the show notes about that. But generally, I think the best use for Time Capsule is just as a no-brainer. You know, plugging it in and having it there for the novice user who's not going to bother with any of the other advice we give today. At least it's a backup. Right. Uh for the power user, um it gives you the ability to go recapture files that get screwed up. And that I think it to me it serves more of a purpose in that regard than it does actually as a backup device because I have it backed up with other ways. Okay. Let's talk about clone backups.
0: All right, these um were my favorite backups for a while. I think maybe they still are. I use them in conjunction with Time Machine. Um and there are a couple well, really two main players in this game. One is Super Duper and the other is Carbon Copy Cloner. And I think I started with Carbon Copy Cloner and then migrated to Super Duper and then migrated back when Super Duper was having Leopard compatibility issues and then migrated back and um you can use them both interchangeably and not necessarily is one better than the other but you know, for a little while, there, they were both playing that game of adding features, adding features, adding features, and which one was better.
1: Okay, but let's, let's back up a little bit. We're yes, let's to start the...
0: back up and talk about what a clone backup is.
1: All right. Uh, you want to take that? Sure,
0: why not? Um, a clone backup is basically an exact duplicate of your primary drive to a secondary drive. And it depends on what your primary drive is. It, it could be your internal drive in your Mac Or you could just use it separately to back up two unrelated drives. But it's going to take one drive and make an exact duplicate of it onto another drive. And the benefit of this is because you've got all of your files, all of your folders, you've preserved the folder structure, you know that everything is backed up, even those wacky files that normal backup programs may ignore. Uh, And also, if you have the drive formatted properly, you can also boot from a clone backup. And the benefit of this is if you have an internal drive in your Mac that dies, you will not be able to boot up your Mac because obviously the operating system is on the bad drive. So PowerPC machines require a Firewire drive. Intel machines will boot over either Firewire or USB. And you can literally, with a, a few keystrokes, plug in your clone backup boot from it, and be back up and running within five minutes. Now, it's not a good idea to run that way long-term, but if you're in the middle of a project and you just have to get going again, um, it's going to help you do that.
1: Yeah, really, as long as it takes to plug the backup drive in and boot up is as long as it takes to go. I mean, obviously, it's a slower operating system when it's running everything through your USB port, but in a pinch, it'll do it. And if you've got all your data on a time capsule um, or a time machine, it doesn't work that way. You've got to reinstall the OS and then reaccess it. So it's very beneficial in that way. It doesn't allow you to version and go back and look at history. Uh, It is a clone, and it is an exact duplicate of the last time you made that clone. Uh, I use SuperDuper. Uh, I bought it a long time ago, and uh, I I just like it. I like the way it works. It's a nice, easy-to-use interface. It does smart backups. So it will look at what has changed since the last time you did it. Um, I, in fact, I use SuperDuper several times a week. Uh, uh, so one of the uses for it is a, I have two separate backup drives for my laptop that I use SuperDuper on. And so I don't want to have to re go through the process of re-backing um, up that entire drive every time I plug it in. Uh, SuperDuper is smart enough to look at it and say, okay, this is your copy. Uh, You ran it a week ago. This is what's changed. And it takes all of about 20 or 30 minutes to do the backup once a week. Uh, You can schedule them as well. On the iMac, I have it run a backup every morning. And I've got that external FireWire drive attached. And I'm going to go through and explain my whole crazy backup system later. But that's one of the things that has happened is once a day, the the main computer gets backed up to a super duper drive. Uh, Carbon Clappy Cloner I've used as well. And uh, they're not. Uh, it's a donationware, so there's not a fee. But I did contribute some money. Uh, when Leopard first came out, uh, SuperDuper wasn't ready for it. And they were um, understandably trying to get it exactly right because you're relying on it for your backups. So Carbon Cl- Car- Copy Cloner was done. And you know, being as frantic as I am about this stuff, I had to have a clone. So I went ahead and ran uh, Carbon Copy Cloner for two or three months. But as soon as SuperDuper came back, I went back to it because I was used to it. I don't think you can go wrong with either application You see which one you like. Uh, One thing about SuperDuper is uh, you don't have to pay for it. There's a free version, but it doesn't allow you to do the smart backups. You have to do a full backup every time. But, you know, that's better than nothing. And uh, uh, I just recently replaced a hard drive for a friend, and we did that. We just downloaded SuperDuper and made a full clone of it uh, with the non-paid version on her computer. And it was very easy to swap the hard drive out and and get it in.
0: Right. And... Just by comparison, a a full backup of my drive will take probably more than an hour, um, somewhere between an hour and two. And since I've done that initial full backup, I do nightly smart backups, which probably take less than 10 minutes, depending on. Now, if I've done a major OS update or something like that, then it's going to take longer. But a, a typical average day is less than 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, another point is for me, I use PGP, and that creates some issues. If you're making the clone, uh, you may have some some difficulties running that. If you if it copies over the PGP data, and PGP stands for pretty good privacy, it's a company that makes a very interesting hard drive encryption system, which we are going to talk about very shortly. But um, there are some specific needs you have for that. And frankly, I don't want to go too far into it now because it's very complicated. But if you're doing it and you don't know how, drop me an email and I will give you the appropriate link. You just have to um, pull a few files out. And then you can make it so it's fully readable and it takes the PGB magic out.
0: Magic, huh?
1: It is magic, I'll tell you. Encrypts your full drive and doesn't slow it down.
0: All right. Um, Anything else we need to cover about clones?
1: Well, just as an overview, I don't know if I did it justice. I think it is my preferred backup. Uh, If I had to just do one, I probably would just be doing a clone over time machine. And the the reason is because when it's done, you've got a drive with all your files on it. There's no secret sauce to get into those files. You can hook it up to a computer and browse through it and click through it and find whatever you're looking for. Whereas with Time Machine, you've got to get plugged into a Time Machine and Quick Computer, and the, you know there's just there's extra steps. And I'm always in favor of systems that allow you to get back into the data without proprietary software. And I think that's a big benefit that you get from a clone backup.
0: Right. Now there are a couple of downsides of clones, and it's just by their very nature, um, the problem with a clone is that because you can't recover prior versions, you could have an error or a corruption or something go wrong with a file or files on your primary machine. And then if you do not catch it in time before your clone backup is scheduled to run again, you've likely just taken that problem and duplicated it onto your clone and then written over essentially good data with bad. So... That is a concern just based on, on the very nature of clones and so one of the reasons why I like to have a couple of different backup methods.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to put a point on it, let's say you accidentally delete your photo library without realizing it and then you run a clone backup and you do you know the super-duper smart backup. Well, super-duper will say, okay, Dave just deleted these photos, so he obviously doesn't want those anymore, so I'll go ahead and del- delete those off the clone as well. And if that's your only backup, you got a problem.
0: While it's kind of contrary to common sense, what I tell a lot of people is that you know our our first instinct is as soon as we start to have trouble with our Macs, we want to run a backup right then and right there and make sure that we've got all of our files. However, if you're starting to have trouble with your Mac and you can't quite specify where it's coming from or you're not quite sure what it is. I would argue that you do not want to run a backup or at least a backup using your primary backup method because you could be very easily bringing that program, that problem over and overwriting good data with bad. And if you've now overwritten your only data with corrupt data, your backup didn't be very good.
1: Yeah, and that really gets back to, I think, the overriding theme of this episode is, you know, one yeah, redundancy. I mean, one system for your backup is just not enough. It's, it's really not a backup because it's just so easy to have a, a couple problems delete all your data. And if you have anything that's important to you, you need to, you need to have uh, more than one system to backup.
0: So I think we've covered uh, clone backups, time machine backups, and online backups. Are we ready to move to manual and archive type backups?
1: Yeah, let's do that. All right.
0: Well, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, archiving isn't really backing up unless you have multiple copies of your data. A lot of people from time to time will look to clear off their internal hard drive and move stuff over to an external hard drive, but now you've only still got that data in one place. So there are obviously um, different backup medias and different ways to backup or archive files, but... I would argue that whatever you do in this method, you would also need some kind of redundancy built in. So, David, how do you handle this?
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't use DVD and CD backups anymore, and uh, I just don't believe in them. Uh, you know, I know that they degrade, and I know there's what they call it bit rot. Right. And uh, it's a pain to make them. And, you know, frankly, hard drives have gotten so cheap, that I just keep a bunch of hard drives in the rotation. Uh, do you do any backups on CDs or DVDs?
0: Not really anymore. Um, yeah. Occasionally I would burn my iTunes library or my iPhoto library to a couple of DVDs and uh, throw them in the safe deposit box or throw them somewhere else, but not really anymore. The only thing I do have backed up onto DVDs is I have, along in multiple places, um, you know, original copies of our home movies
1: unedited
0: yeah. copies of home movies that are on multiple sets of DVDs in multiple places, but that's about it.
1: Yeah, I've always felt like by the time that becomes relevant to anybody other than me, it'll be like when my kids are old. And by then this stuff is going to be useless and there probably won't even be anything to read it on, you know? I I found a box of floppies over the weekend. It was great. My wife was cleaning out, found some floppy drives, some floppy disks, and um and we found a copy of Incarta. <laughs> like 2000 and card two through and the best part was we found a um a zip drive you know a zip drive tape like what am i going to do with that <laughs> yeah.
0: well and, yeah. and that's that's a good point is that if you do use um if you are archiving data off and you are putting it into long term storage whether it's because of bit rot or whether it's because of obsolescence i do think you on a regular basis want to go through and check the integrity of that data, and then also possibly transfer it over to a newer medium.
1: Yeah, I, I totally believe in that. That's one of the reasons I like the hard drives. They're just so easy to access and move the data that it will be no work at all to move them to the next great thing. Um, but in terms of manual archive and backup, uh, I talked earlier about this ChronoSync app, and I think I want to talk about it a little bit more now. It's it's a great little application for exactly that job. You know, When you want to move... Uh, data over to a backup drive uh, you can manually drag it over and that's that's just fine um, sometimes maybe it's preferable just to format the backup drive and copy over the two or three folders that you need but if you're doing anything complex at all and you want to make sure you don't forget it uh, ChronoSync, I'm going to say it's $40 but I'm not sure I'm going to check uh, before the show notes go out but it has a lifetime upgrade policy and when they come out with major versions it's always free I've had it for years, and now they have a new uh, application called ChronoSync Agent, which you can put on a separate Mac, and then it, it makes the transition to that even easier. And I use that for a lot of my backup. I mean, I use it to get the data into my mobile Me Drive. I use it to send pre-designated data over to my hard drives that I send out into the world, and uh, it's a great little tool if uh, you want to go down that road.
0: Very cool. Um. I tend to use when I do this, you know, the the drag and drop method myself. I don't have any kind of automated software because I have so many other backups, so many other places. It's, it's usually just because I'm backing up specific files or specific folders. So I don't know that I really have a, a lot to add to this conversation about manual backups. But I do want to talk a little bit about the types of media and devices that we use to do these manual backups. And I know we've already talked about CDs and DVDs. Uh, how they're becoming more obsolete and regular hard drives and the time capsule. Um, But there are differences in hard drives and there are different types of drives that you can buy. And I mean, everybody I think has their preferred hard drive brand or whether you just go out and and buy whatever's the cheapest or the most economical. I think in the long term, it really doesn't make a ton of difference.
1: I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, so long as it's so long as it's a common name, It's not something completely out of left field. You know, take your shot. And you shouldn't have, you should be testing it, you should be spinning it up often enough that it doesn't sit on a shelf and go bad. And, you know, you should have multiple copies. I mean, we're back to redundancy. And then it doesn't matter, you know. I've got hard drives that are three and a half years old that I'm still using in my rotation. And I'm just going to run them until they die because I don't really care. Um, All the data that's on them is in other places, but just in that freak event that that's the only remaining drive, at least I've got it in one additional place.
0: The one thing I do recommend, though, is especially for your primary backup drives, um, that you buy drives that have multiple interfaces or that you at least have a way to get a drive into something that has multiple interfaces. And the big reason I bring that up is obviously because different computers have different interfaces. Some Macs have FireWire 800, some Macs don't, some Macs... Uh, have Firewire 400. Some Macs don't. Some Macs have eSATA. Some Macs don't. So it it is good, especially if you're dealing with a lot of Macs, that you've got some kind of of, of system. And, you know, quite frankly, USB is probably uh, the most universal, but also slower. However, I ran into a problem. I got bit with one of the 10.4 updates, and I want to say it was 10.4.7, but I'm not sure where this hard drive that I had been running, this USB 2.0 hard drive that I had been running for years and years and years with no problem, all of a sudden would not mount on an Intel based Mac with this particular software update mounted all day long on power PC Macs. I could see my data. My data was good, but would not mount on an Intel Mac and spent quite a bit of time on the phone with an Apple engineer. It turns out it was something that the software update broke and they fixed it in the next version but I was without my data on that drive for a couple of months until the next OS update came around, and um, it's because it was a USB-only drive.
1: I remember that.
0: Do you? Yeah, yeah I was bitter. Was
1: the, there were a lot of people upset when that happened, <laughs> understandably. But the, um, I think the thing with the hard drives is a few years ago, I got it, well, it wasn't even that long ago, but there was a deal at Fry's where they had these really nice aluminum enclosures with multiple ports and uh, I went and picked up a couple of them, and you know if you're if you're at all handy with a screwdriver, it's very easy to load your own drive. And I like that because then I can take them out and uh, and replace it with new drives. It's it's probably cheaper in the overall run of things. And if the drive goes bad, I'll just get a new internal drive and drop it in these enclosures, at least for the immediate future. Uh, although I have uh, I have drank the Kool Aid and, and bought a Drobo as well.
0: Alright, now this is the part of the podcast where I'm gonna perk up because for years now I have been saying I see absolutely no reason to buy a Drobo, but I find myself intrigued and um seriously considering it, so convince there's, me.
1: There's a lot of hype over the Drobo. You know, everybody makes a big deal about it and Like everybody should have a Drobo, and they do a great job of advertising. If you go to their website, it's really slick. But I have to admit, uh, I really like it. And you know, they're not cheap. It's when I got it, it was five hundred dollars. Now I think it's like four thirty, and it's an empty box. I mean, for that much money, you don't even you don't get a bit of data to store for that much money. But I was looking at a way to um, to use all these drives I had accumulated. And, you know, I was thinking about, well, do I get a RAID solution? I started looking at that, and RAID drives are expensive, and they have to be matched, and there's a whole bunch of stuff involved, you know. Um, and we could go at length at RAID, but there's different types of RAID, you know, RAID 0, RAID 1, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's a type of RAID where it, it stripes all the drives, and then it makes them really fast, but it's no backup, so you don't want that. Then there's another type of RAID where it duplicates everything, but the drives have to be identical. And, you know, frankly, to get a RAID, Box and load it with drives was going to be pretty expensive. It was really comparable with the Drobo and it didn't allow me to use my existing drives. So I decided to heck with it. I'll go buy a Drobo.
0: Okay. Now uh, explain how a Drobo is better than multiple hard drives
1: or okay, well, multiple. Well, what it does is it, it gets back to that R word, you know, redundancy. Okay. So a Drobo is a black box that's got four slots in it for drives. They've got a new one with eight slots, but um, I think that's really more of a business type thing than a than a personal user would need. Well,
0: I don't uh, know. I think Victor needs one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe Victor. Uh, but anyway, so getting back to it, you've got this black box that hooks up to your computer. It's got mine has FireWire and USB in the back, and so you can plug it in through FireWire 800 into your iMac, and then you start loading it with drives inside the Drobo. It's got its own microprocessor. It's a mini computer, and the little computer in there has a job. And that job is to take whatever you throw at it and back it up redundantly so if any drive fails that you don't lose any data. And um, also to monitor the existing space on the drives you have in there and give you feedback, very easy feedback, but feedback as to when you need to replace one. So I've got three uh, one-terabyte drives in my Drobo. I have got the fourth slot empty. And what it does is it takes that information and anything I throw onto the Drobo, I've got the Aperture library, the family video library, um, uh, you know, my magic disc of all the install that's on there, you know, anything basically I want that I don't want to keep on my uh, native drive on my iMac goes onto this Drobo. And uh, sadly I am filling it up. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how quickly you can do that. So I've got all this data on there and, Normally, if I had that all that on an external drive and that drive failed, then I'd be out of luck. Okay. okay. Uh, on the Drobo, if one of those three drives fails, I have no problem. It gives me a little red indicator. I pop that drive out, put a new one in, and it rebuilds it. Meanwhile, it's kept a copy of everything on the other two drives.
0: So you don't get, obviously, with the way the Drobo works – the full amount of storage that you put in, you've, you've bought three, one terabyte drives. You don't have three terabytes on the Drova.
1: No, but I don't have one and a half either. It, it, um, I don't know how exactly the magic works, but generally I've got about two terabytes with three terabytes of drives in there. All right. Well that just blows my mind, but okay. Yeah. Well they, they've got, you know, that's, and that's what you're paying for. You know, they've programmed it. It's got a processor in there. I think it, 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 it compresses when it needs to. It stripes when it needs to. You know, It goes through and figures out. It does all that work for you, and that's what you're paying for when you buy the Drobo. Um, and if I want to upgrade it, I can throw a new drive in there. When I first had it, I had a couple 320s in there. I mean, I've had so many different drives in this thing. Just as the terabyte drives have gone down in price, occasionally I'll go and buy another one and stick it in there. And I'm looking at my little Drobo indicator now, and it looks to me probably in the next... Probably three or four months, I'm going to have to finally fill that fourth slot uh, with something pretty big. So, you know, it's really neat that way. Um, uh, so if you have one drive fail, you get no data loss. Now, to compare that to not having your Drobo, if I had my whole um, uh, Aperture library on the drive and the external drive failed, then it that would be bad. You know, obviously I'd have a 2nd offsite backup, and that kind of gets back to, you know, what does the Drobo do for you? I so don't do you think- really
0: need two Drobos?
1: Um, I guess if you wanted, but it, you know, that that's kind of crazy. You know, I, the way I do it is I have the Drobo and there's some data on there that frankly, if I had a catastrophic failure of two drives in the Drobo, so I did lose data, it would not kill me. You know, um, for instance, I back up my daughter's iTunes library on it. You know, that's just another couple hundred gigabytes that I just throw on there. But you know, that's off of an external drive from her computer. So with respect to my daughter's uh, iTunes library, if, if I lost that off the Drobo, that would be the end of the world. So this gets back to that magic terabyte drive I was talking about earlier with the really good stuff that goes on to an external drive that goes to the sister-in-law's house once a month. I don't think buying a Drobo is the end of all your problems. You <laughs> still have to have that off-site backup. Just because you have it redundant next to your desk isn't enough.
0: Right, because the Drobo still is one box. It is one point of failure. It is one theft, one fire, one flood, one lightning strike away from failure.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got a a friend that I really respect who's a Drobo user and has had some serious problems with Drobo customer support just in the last week. And uh, that's something I I should say. I mean, he, uh, he called them three times and was looking to solve a problem with a with an upgrade to his drives that went poorly and literally had to get the uh, the fix from a fellow twitter user didn 't get it from the manufacturer and that didn 't impress me I mean when you spend that much money on something their their customer service should be stellar right and uh, so i don 't want to say make too much of it because i 've never used their customer support and maybe he just caught them on a bad week or something but uh, that that made me a little bit concerned. Uh, if you are going to spend that much money, the thing should—if there is a problem, they should be right there for you. Right. Uh, but overall, I'd have to say I am pretty happy with the Drobo. So long as you accept its limits, you know it's not going to solve all your problems, but it is really nice knowing that if one of the drives sitting next to your computer goes bad, you are not going to lose any data. Right. So that's what it is all about. It's—it's it's a lot of money, and you don't have to have a Drobo, despite all the. Glitzy Marketing?
0: Well, I think we've been touching on it all show long and talking about our different backup strategies and plans, but uh, we kind of had a challenge going into the show to find out uh, who was the most paranoid and who had the most obsessive backup plan between the two of us. So I thought it might be a good idea if we would just Now that we've talked about all the options, run down our own backup plans and kind of why we chose to go that specific route.
1: Okay. Okay, you first.
0: Okay. My backup plan. I have a time capsule, 500 gigabytes, which I use every day, all the time, for incremental backups through Time Machine. I actually have tweaked it slightly using Time Machine Buddy so that it only backs up every two or three hours instead of every hour. But it does run every few hours, and I like it because it allows both for backup and versioning. Um, I also have a clone backup Firewire drive, which is scheduled to automatically backup every evening at 9.30 with SuperDuper. And I chose this because it allows me instant access and the ability to temporarily boot off of an external drive if necessary. I also use Mosey. And on Mosey, I initially started backing up what I would call my mission-critical files, but as you can see, considering I have over 120 gigs stored up on Mosey, it is my mission-critical files, and then a handful of other files that I just really don't want to lose.
1: Handful, huh?
0: Just a handful. Um, and then scattered around, I have a few other random uh clone drive backups that are both at my house and at other houses. I have a uh, clone backup of my user folder that stays at my parents' house that I upgrade Yeah, every month, every couple of weeks when I, I go to visit them and I just take my laptop, do a do an upgrade and, and then put the drive back in the drawer. Um, I have a dot Mac account, which I use to back up a few select mission critical files. Um, And then, I, I, like I said, I have a couple other hard drives with um, pretty much previous versions of systems. Um, When I upgraded my Mac, I've got, sitting in a drawer, the clone drive from that Mac that I will will hang on to for a while. And then once I'm comfortable, I'll go ahead and turn that into kind of an additional backup to carry with me somewhere. So that is my system in a nutshell. And the reason that I decided to go with a system like that was for a couple of reasons. one, I obviously wanted redundancy, and um, two, I needed to com- accommodate a laptop as my primary machine and recognizing that laptops are unique beasts and that they're not necessarily connected to your network they're not necessarily sitting on your desk and plugged into your other hard drives so between the time capsule, which allows me to back up my drive wirelessly, no matter where I am in my house, and my clone backup, which allows me to back up my drive if I'm physically attached to it, and my mozi backup that allows me to back up my drive anytime I have an internet connection, I feel like I'm pretty well covered
1: That's a pretty good system think yeah.
0: you might best me though
1: well, you know mine's a little more complicated because I'm using two computers okay. But, you know, I think yours is pretty paranoid, I have to say.
0: And, you know, I I will tell you just a backup success story that I had that horrific moment one day where I was working on my computer and out of the blue it froze. And I restarted it and it never came back on again. It was literally sitting at my desk one day was the moment that that needle on my hard drive decided to break and, you know, crash in. The drive totally destroying my data, and um, I lost nothing.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's the plan. You know, that's the goal. All
0: right. So tell us about your system.
1: Okay, so I'll start with my iMac. Um, I keep most of my working data on the Drobo. You know, the working files, the media, the iTunes library, Aperture, the video. All that stuff is mainly on the Drobo. On the iMac itself, I mainly have the software to run it. I don't keep a whole lot of data on it. But and that makes me feel good because it's redundant and it's copied there. But the backup system for the iMac is: I have two drives attached to. So I have the Drobo, and um, through the parallel Drobo 800 port, I have a second one terabyte external drive, and they're both FireWire 800, so they're all they're, it's in series. And um, on that 800 on that one terabyte drive, I have it partitioned for um, a super-duper backup as the initial partition. And that's a point when you're doing these uh, clone drives. Make sure the first partition is your super-duper or your clone drive. And then the second partition, the remaining uh, approximately 700 gig, is just a uh, time machine backup. So on that one drive, I I get the super-duper, and it runs every day uh, after I go to work. And, And it's constantly running the time machine onto that drive as well. Uh, So that's a very good backup for the iMac itself. And then the Drobo has the redundancy built in. So that's the general sitting at the desk backup. Um, I then take the key data on the Drobo. And as I've explained already in the show, I send that off into the world. Uh, The main one goes to my sister-in-law, but I have a couple other much smaller drives. You know, I think one's 200 and others like 320 and I put the real key stuff on there and send that off to other relatives and, a couple, you know, around the house, whatever. So I used to bring one to the work, but I w- I just got too nervous about that, leaving one at the office. There's there's too many people going through there. I didn't want someone taking that drive. And something I didn't say during the uh, the earlier part of the show is if you're gonna send a drive to a friend, um, if you have really sensitive data, you know, your tax returns or whatnot, it's very easy to make a um a a secure disk image and copy that on there with the real key data. And it's not that you don't trust them, but you know It's just out of your control. Yeah, exactly. You don't know if someone's going to break into their house and steal a drive or something. I don't care if somebody gets my picture library or sees the goofy pictures of me dancing on, you know, 4th of July, but I don't want them to see my tax returns. So that stuff gets encrypted. So I've got those drives going out into the universe. Also, uh, because I use Dropbox, that data there is backed up in the Dropbox cloud. And because the Dropbox data is on my local drive, it also goes on to the super duper clone and the time machine backups and all those things that comes off the iMac. Um, I also have the, the script that runs once a week that refills the mobile me disk. And the reason I only do it once a week, frankly, is because mobile me so upload is... Exactly. I, I, I would bet you money that Mosey and Backblaze and all these people can run circles around mobile me in terms of speed. Uh, but I just run it once a week because I figure it's going to take two or three days, even though it's not that many files to get everything synced back up to Apple. So that's the, uh, the general backup strategy for the iMac and the key data off the iMac. Then I've got the MacBook and for that, I do a time capsule backup to the time capsule and I I don't have that run automatically because I find it frustrating the way it, it you know shoots off and runs all the time. And I'm afraid if I'm going to close the lid, am I going to screw it up? And you know I'm just too sensitive about time capsule. And maybe it's because I've got the older one and I've had run-ins with it before. So I have it run manually. So it doesn't run every hour, but I remember to do it at least once every couple of days. Often when I'm going to bed, I'll just set it on the table and you know, plug it in and tell Time Capsule to run and then go to sleep. Uh, I also have that super-duper, I have a little portable drive at home that I keep, and uh, I keep it not in my computer room, I keep it somewhere else in the house. And I do that every Saturday or Sunday. And then I have a drive that uh, comes along with me in my bag that, has, uh, that is partitioned. It has a super-duper backup of the MacBook, and then it has some secure data. And that drive I have fully encrypted with PGP. So if someone steals my bag and they get that drive, they aren't getting anywhere into it. Uh, so I have to mount that when I pu- plug it into my um, MacBook, but then I can run a super duper on it. And so I've got that backup that I carry with me. And I don't bother with any of the other online stuff other than the stuff I've already explained because I just felt like I said, you know, the, the money I'd spend on that. Um, It's much easier for me to spend that money buying an extra USB um, hard drive or a hard drive enclosure and just send it out with a friend. I just feel like I'm getting more for it that way. I I don't really trust the online systems, and they're so slow still. I, I really do have some issues with the security of it as well.
0: Well, and that takes us to our next topic, which I think is going to be next time.
1: Well... But you didn't say what you think of my system yet.
0: Oh, yes. What do I think of your system? Um, I think you win. Do I? Yeah.
1: It's just because I have two Macs, I think.
0: I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I still feel that I'm fully, completely, comprehensively backed up. The only thing I might add to that is a Drobo.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm when I think about it, I spent quite a bit of money you know, between the Drobo and the drives I've accumulated over the years on this. But it's really worth it to me to (laughs) know I'm not going to lose any of this data and all these great pictures I'm taking of my kids will still be around when I'm really old. Right. Okay. Next show.
0: Security. And I think that dovetails into this episode. Well, because one of the the topics we had to discuss about on this episode, but we, I think we're going to save for next episode is security because uh, although backups are extremely important they don't do you a whole lot of good if they're not secure in some way. And I think all of the stuff that we were going to talk about in terms of security that would apply to your backups can also be applied to your Mac. So I think we will uh, wrap that all up next show.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if we'll be able to wrap it all up in one show. Frankly, there's so much to talk about with security, but we're going to start working on an outline. And uh, we'll tell you shows. next time. That, yeah, it may you know, be too.
0: happened with email, so.
1: Yeah, so uh, we'll tell you about that. Uh, we didn't have too much feedback on the launch bar episode. A lot of uh, people seem to be happy with it, and I think a lot of people went and bought it. I've heard some great uh, positive emails from people saying that you know that they appreciated us going through it. and Now they're using it to a lot more uh, extent.
0: Yeah, but not not really a lot of uh, feedback in terms of stuff that would be useful to share with uh, everybody else. But if you have some, send it to us.
1: Yeah. And where exactly would you send it, Katie?
0: Well, I would send it to feedback at macpowerusers.com.
1: That's a good way to send it. It comes to both of us. Um, Also, you can send it to us on our Twitter account, at Twitter at MacPowerUsers.
0: You can also leave a comment on our website. And it's interesting that some little discussions have popped up on our website, and you'll see people commenting back and forth. But you can find all of our show notes and leave comments uh, regarding any questions or anything you may have to add, and you can do that at MacPowerUsers.com.
1: Yes, you can. And if you're going to iTunes and you feel generous, you could leave feedback about our show.
0: I gotta tell you, that's like that's like going to the candy store or something every time I pop into iTunes and take a look and see our comments on iTunes. I am just so thrilled that people think highly enough of of what we're doing to to leave a, con- a comment, and it, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside.
1: It really does. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't make money podcasting. Uh, you you really do it for the love of it, and seeing that people are enjoying it and getting something out of it really is a big help. I mean, I did the Max Sparky screencast for like a year, and it was I was like the guy in the cave. You know, nobody left me any feedback for like a year, and I was thinking, does anybody re- even watch these? You know, and you look at the download numbers, and the download numbers were actually pretty decent. Uh, but you know, it's just, and I, I just really appreciate people who take the time to go leave a comment. Cause I know, you know, you're going out of your way to do that for us and, uh, it doesn't really do a whole lot for us. I guess it helps keep it us does. a little bit.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it, um, it helps us there. There's a magic algorithm that iTunes uses in terms of making recommendations. And, uh, one of the key things that goes into that is the comments that you've received. So comments do help us quite a bit.
1: But, you know, even more than that, um, it just puts a smile on my face and makes me want to go make more podcasts with Katie. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts on backup. Maybe you can tell us which one of us you think is more anal retentive. That's Yeah. And until then, I guess we'll talk about security next time.
0: All right. Thank you.